Good morning, all. How's everybody doing today? Doing a good, beautiful day in Southern California. 85 degrees. Not that in Chicago today. <laughs> Be turning your Bibles to Genesis 28. We'll get there eventually. Uh, we've got a few things to do here and set it up before we get there. But uh, Genesis 28 is the uh, first sermon that we'll be reading. Uh, we do have a prayer request this morning uh, from uh, Lorene McCurry that uh, a friend of hers, a neighbor, uh, had an unfortunate death in the family and uh, we're going to be praying for the family. We don't always do that kind of thing, but uh, you know it is the holiday season and let's make sure that uh, we sort of broaden out that, that prayer for uh, the many, many needs that people have in their families and uh, this uh, time of the year. Uh, so let's bow together. Father, we do pray that uh, you'll be with uh, the Lolly family and the uh, recent loss that they had and uh, pray you'll comfort them, uh, help them to be able to uh, uh, see your love and uh, feel your love and their loss. And uh, we do pray that uh, uh, you'll be with all of us as we're around our families uh, this week, that we can be an encouragement and strength to them, that uh, we can express the proper amount of uh, gratitude for the uh, sacrifice and love that our families have given us and that we can be an encouragement to everybody that we're around. But we do thank you for the season. Uh, it's a great time uh, that we have to be uh, thankful for all that you have blessed us with. And we, we really have been blessed in so many ways, and we appreciate that. To Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, Genesis uh, 28. You guys there? I don't know why my uh, watch here is blinking lap, and so I can't time my uh, sermon if I don't fix this. Uh, Kevin, you know how to fix this? Here. <laughs> I could just preach till I, you know, run out of gas if you want me to. <laughs> no, I think I think you'd appreciate me knowing uh, what time I've gone. Uh, Kevin's my IT guy. It doesn't have a touch screen. No, it, 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 it's an Iron Man watch. You can't get it? Nope. Oh my gosh. Okay, I'll, I'll just remember. Okay, it's it's ten forty three right now. Okay, uh, we're, we're, we'll have to do it the old fashioned way without stopwatch. Okay. Um, we're going to talk today uh, about uh, a, a theme that I think will be interesting for us uh, to study from the Word of God and uh, something that uh, all of us ought to be able to identify with. It's the idea of the comeback. Okay? Uh, someone, uh, you know, they, they make a comeback in their life. And who we're going to study is Jacob. And, you know, in the Bible, you have, you have some people in the Bible that seems like they always do the right thing. As a matter of fact, there's two people in the Bible, Joseph and Daniel, that there isn't a single word ever said about them doing anything wrong. And we actually have a lot of information about them, but there's never any negative. Uh, now you have some characters like, you know, Peter, that, you know, it seems like, well, Peter makes a lot of mistakes and, and that kind of thing. And then he, you know, he also does a lot of good things. But the guy we're going to look at today could be called the, uh, the, the, the comeback kid. I mean, he, he's the guy in the Bible that's up and down and up and down uh, many, many, many times. And I'm going to give you some of that information uh, as we go along. But to get our minds going along this idea of comebacks, I want you to think of, with me now and see if we can get on the same uh, uh, thought uh, process of, uh, 
different comebacks. I'm thinking about a political figure in the 19, late 60s uh, and 70s uh, in the United States that made an incredible comeback. Who am I thinking about? Nixon. Right, he, he lost his uh, bid to be president against John Kennedy. John Kennedy won that election, razor thin margin. And then he came back to California, his home state, and he ran for governor and he got beat on that. And, uh, his, uh, and people said, oh, he's done now. You know, he's dead and buried. And of course, he had that famous quote uh, where at the uh, uh, news uh, uh, briefing there, he said, well, I guess you won't have Dick Nixon to kick around anymore. Uh, you know, and so he's a little bitter about that. Okay, so you got that one right. You guys are doing good. Okay, Civil War. Which side made the comeback? The North. Yeah, the, uh, the, the South won uh, the first very many battles. And it, it almost got to be an incredible embarrassment that uh, every time they went into battle, uh, the, the Northern Army would lose and the, the South would win again and again and again. And then, of course, they made a great comeback and uh, uh, won the war. So, okay. Uh, okay, now, uh, going ahead in our, our history, uh, World War II. Who made a great comeback? The United States, us, got bombed at, at uh, Pearl Harbor, wiped out the entire Pacific fleet, and of course in just a few short years we ended up uh, winning uh, the, uh, the, the war and, and going on. Now a lot of times though, when you think about comebacks, you think about sporting events, okay? And so all you USC fans out there and Notre Dame fans, here we go. Famous game. I think it was like 1972 or 73. Notre Dame was, was ranked number one, I think. And USC number two. In the first half of the game, who was getting almost blown off the field at the Coliseum? USC. And they were way behind at halftime. And then Anthony Davis was the running back at that time. He went on to win the Heisman Trophy, I believe, that year. But they made a furious comeback. I think they scored like uh, 50 points in the second half and won 50 to 25 or something like that. And I think they went on and won the national championship that year too. But that was, that was an incredible comeback. And so we've got our minds going now on comebacks, right? Okay, let me, let me read you, we're not going to study this, I'm just going to give this to you, some of the high points and low points of Jacob's life. And I do this to, to help us understand that we have high points and low points in our life. You know, sometimes uh, you know, people become Christians and they think, okay, I've become a Christian now, I'm just on a straight beeline going upward, and I'm going to eventually meet God. <laughs> and everything in my life because I've become a Christian is going to go great and I'm going to make all perfect decisions and I'm going to uh, uh, you know I'm going to marry this incredible guy or girl or my kids are going to all be the most perfect kids ever born and, and my job my career my health uh, you know it's all, it's all going to be just you know you know and what they find out then is that they live their Christian life for a few months and a few years is that well it didn't quite work out that way <laughs> And it seems like we go up and then we go down. 
And then we have tendency to, okay, we recover, we go up and we go down, and we go up and we go. If you look at Jacob's life, he is an incredible uh, study of up and down. Let me give you some of the low points of his life. He cheats his older brother out of both the birthright and the blessing. And he lives a good part of his life in mortal fear that his older brother is going to kill him. In that process, he deceived his father and uh, did a good job of ruining his relationship with his dad because of that. He has to flee for his life. He's uh, sort of treated in a similar way by his future father-in-law. And interesting. He's a very deceitful person. He treats people deceitfully. And oh my goodness, what happens to him? He runs into someone that treats him deceitfully. And his, uh, his father-in-law tricks him on his wedding night and he actually marries the wrong sister. Because the father did not want his older daughter uh, to be sort of outshined by the younger girl. And so he did a little bit of a switcheroo, so to speak. And so Jacob uh, married the older daughter and then uh, eventually uh, married the younger daughter as well. Um, and he spends the rest of his life trying to deal with these two sisters and they're feuding with each other. These are all low points. <laughs> Just in case. I haven't got to the good stuff yet. This is all the low stuff. He believes as he gets on in life, he has a, a, a bunch of children, uh, and he believes that his favorite son is killed. His, all the other brothers lied to him. They had sold him into slavery because the little brat bothered him all the time. But he, he was told by his sons, and he believed that his favorite son, Joseph, was dead. And his daughter was raped. I'm, I'm telling you, that's a lot of bad news. That's a lot of bad things that can happen in a person's life. And all of that are events that happened in Jacob's life. Now, let's go to the other side of the story. The high points of his life. Things that Jacob did that were just incredible. He has a vision of a stairway going up into heaven. And angels coming up and down. And the conclusion of that vision that he has is that God says to him, all people on earth are going to be blessed through your children and their children and your ancestry going on down through. Now that, that's pretty cool, wouldn't you think? That's a high point in a person's life if God says something uh, like that to you. And another point in his life, he actually wrestles with an angelic figure, an angel or some being. And at the end of that time, he also is blessed again and, and told that instead of being known as Jacob now, he's going to be known as Israel. Of course, that's where the term, even to their, our modern uh, name of the country, Israel. He finds out eventually that his son Joseph is alive. And that, that's a tremendously positive thing that he thought he was dead, but now he's alive. But not only is he alive, he actually is the prime minister 
of Egypt. And Egypt is the most powerful country in the world that they would have understood at that time. Now, can you imagine a father that for years who had believed his son was dead then gets the information that not only is he alive, he's the President of the United States! That would be a real high point, don't you think? I think you'd be feeling really good about life at that point. Wow, not only is he alive, that's great, I can't wait to see him. He's, he's what? He's the Prime Minister of Egypt? He's the guy that's running the, the, the country under Pharaoh? That would have been a, an amazing amount of uh, positive, if you know what I'm saying. And then the very last thing in his life, he lives so long that he gets to go down and see Joseph. He lives there for a while. All his other sons and family are around him. And he gets to bless all his family before he dies. And so you have this tremendous amount of up and down in his life. Just like you and just like me that we have up and down in our life. And I want us to make our study today really looking at this idea of how did he do it? How did he go up and down? Because a lot of us, when we go, when we go down, we think, oh no, I'm never going to be able to get back up again. I'm never going to be able to have up moments. And we start going down spiritually and we just go down and down and down. Actually, the key is when you're going down is to realize, okay, I'm at a bad moment here. How do I turn this around? And so our study here hopefully is going to be a little bit of a study of how did he turn it around. Now, are you in Genesis 28? Amen. You thought we'd never get there, right? You thought I actually forgot about it. No, we're actually going to get there. Okay, Genesis 28, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba, and this is about the stairway to heaven that I I mentioned a little bit earlier. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you your descendants. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're living. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out like uh, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you uh, until you have done what I have promised to you. When Jacob awoke from his dream, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it and he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Now here is the key. Look at this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me and this journey that I'm taking and give me food and water and clothes to wear so that I can return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And uh, out of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Okay, how do you you make a comeback spiritually? How do you sort of notice that you're going down and, and, and you need to turn it around? Jacob made a vow. He said, God, I know you've blessed me. I know you've taken care of me. 
he made a vow. Now the truth of the matter is, vows are an interesting thing in the Scriptures. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, we're not going to turn that just for time, but if you want to write it down, those of you who are taking notes. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 through 7. The Bible basically says there, be very careful about taking a vow that you're not serious about, that you're not actually going to do. But nonetheless, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't take a vow. That just says you shouldn't take a vow if you're not serious about it. Vows are a part of our world today. All of us who are married, when we got married, what did we do? We took a vow. Until death do us part. And you know, for whatever it's been here, from our youngest newlyweds here uh, to our oldest, you know, codgers of, you know, uh, age that are still married, you know, uh, we took that vow and, and you live by your vow, right? That's an important thing. All of us who are married, we, we think about our vow every once in a while. We say, hey, I vowed, uh, you know, to Chris, my wife, you know, all my life, you know, good or bad, Amen. you know, up, down, for richer, for poorer, amen, uh, you know, and, and all those kind of things. Of course, most people, when they take those vows, they're thinking, oh, yeah, 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 but it'll be richer. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, good or bad, yeah, it'll mostly be good. Uh, but, you know, in life you begin to realize, well, you know, those vows are really sort of true. Uh, you know, it's for richer, for poor, for good or bad, and, and, and good times and bad times, and all that kind of thing. I mean, Chris Nakiishi, the one who did the uh, communion earlier for us, I mean, he would never would have thought in his wildest imagination, this beautiful uh, Filipino girl he's married is going to have a brain problem, of all things. Who could have ever thought that? And, you know, but thank God they made it through that, and that was, uh, you know, a wonderful, hopefully, a, a wonderful story in their life in the rearview mirror, you know, that they can share about. But you never know all that may happen. But that vow thing's an important thing. I want to ask you something here. Do you make it a habit to vow to God? I actually think you should. When you became a Christian, you took a vow. You said, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Or, Jesus is Lord. You made the good confession before you get baptized. Jesus is Lord. That was a vow. That was saying that Jesus is going to be the, the master, the commander, the controller of my life. Not me. That was a vow. I think we actually need to renew our vows every once in a while in our relationship with God. And say, God, you know, I, I, I just want to be clear here. I know I trip. I know I fall. I know I fail. I know I'm not always what I need to be. But I promise I'm going to be your child. My word's not yours. You can put that in, in, in the context of your wording and how you'd want to say it. I think it's a good thing to up our vows to God. And renew our vows to God. Of how important how special and how committed we are to living our life as a child of His. Okay, let's look at another example. Look a little further on. Well, I just actually, I didn't have a scripture because I didn't want to spend a time with the scriptures. The story sort of tells it. It's the second kind of thing is he, he overcomes his struggle with God and with people in the context of, 
of uh, you know making it through all of his life. He has a lot of struggles with people, right? His mom and dad, his older brother, uh, his father-in-law, and uh, other stories uh, from his life that we didn't actually get into. And he struggles along the way uh, with uh, with with his uh, sort of his struggle with God or his his struggle with people. Let's talk about God first, and then we'll go back to people. Do you ever struggle with God? Have you ever thought or said, God? How could you do this to me? God, how could you let this happen to me? And I think if we're honest, most of us at one time or another have actually either thought that or in many cases we've said it. And we have verbalized out loud, God, how could you do this to me? I mean, you look at some of the things that, that Jacob went through. His daughter was raped. You know, I have daughters. I, I, I can't quite imagine how, how would I process that with God? How could you let that happen to my girl? And surely he felt that way toward his daughter Dinah. As, as she went through that. And there were other events in his life where he must have felt this kind of feeling of how, how could you let Joseph... You know, of course, he believed this to be true. It wasn't really true. How could you let Joseph be ripped apart by wild animals? How could you ever let that happen, God? So Jacob must have had this sort of feeling sometimes between him and God. Look over to Psalm 73. Psalm 73 is, is a, a tremendous psalm of sort of seeing this, uh, this struggle that, that a person can have with God and, and how they figure it out. And, and we're not going to read all of it, but we're going to just sort of peruse through it a little bit and, and notice some of the things. In verse 1, the psalmist here says, and it's Asaph. This is not a psalm of David. It's a psalm of Asaph. It says, Surely God is good to those in Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So this is his basic premise, that God takes care of His people. But then he goes on, look at this, verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. I, he says, I was really bombing it spiritually. I was going down. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist here is actually talking about something that that we deal with. He's looking at others around him who are not God-fearing people and he's saying, they have more money than me. They drive a better car than me. They have a nicer house than me. Uh, They're healthier than me. Uh, uh, It looks to me like their life is better than mine. Ever had that thought? The psalmist here has that thought. And he talks about this thing. In verse 4, he says, They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. He says, man, it looks like these people are cranking. Looks like their life is awesome. And he talks about all the different things that goes on in their life. And, and, and he comes on around. And in verse 16, he says, When I tried to understand all this, he says, I was really trying to understand this. It was oppressive to me. So I couldn't get it. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. 
He said, you know, going to church helped me figure it out. Because I realized, wait, there's more that going on here than just what's going on right now. You've got to have a broader look. You've got to look beyond the grave even of what's going to happen with these people. Then he comes on in verse 25. He's talking now to God. He's sort of making a comeback. If you understand what he's saying, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. See, he's getting back his sort of more rational spiritual mind, isn't he? He's saying, hey, I don't really need that new car. I don't really need a bigger house. I don't really need that. All I really need is you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. And so in Psalm 73, you have a guy here that is struggling with God. Now, I think sometimes when we struggle with God, we get an inordinate amount of guilt. We think, what's wrong with me that I could struggle with God? Hey, there's nothing wrong with you. You're as normal as normal ever got. Everybody struggles with God. Everybody has those feelings. But you've got to work through those feelings and get back to, now wait a minute, I've got to look a little bit beyond about two inches in front of my nose here to really get a perspective. Really, it's more important what's going on in the context of your whole life than whether you have a new car that somebody else has, if you understand what I'm saying. So he struggles with God. He also struggles with people. You ever struggle with people? You know, this is the holiday season and people spend time with their families. You know, hey, for a lot of people, honestly, right now, when they think about Thursday of this week, they're like, oh, great. Oh, Again, you know, hope Uncle Tom isn't there. Hope Aunt, you know, Billy isn't there. You know, I mean, it's, oh, I got to spend a whole day with my brother. Oh, really? Sometimes people in the church struggle with people in the church. You're like, yeah, she calls herself a Christian, but man. She got to be in the top five sorriest Christians in in uh, in our generation, man. She she made the top five list. In my humble opinion, <laughs> and, and and sometimes we struggle with with people. We we struggle with you know I I I try to talk to him and he never listens. And we struggle with people. Yeah, we, we, we struggle sometimes from a vantage point of leadership to the people. You know, I'm just being honest here as a leader. Sometimes I struggle with you guys. I'm like, you know, your marriage isn't going good. 
we go out of our way to do marriage and family counseling, classes, teaching, retreat, and you don't go to any of them? And then you wonder why your marriage isn't going good. Well, bro, can we get together and talk about my marriage? Well, we've only had about 15 dozen chances for you to, to do something proactive about your marriage and you don't do anything and then you want me to, to, to try to save it. Oh, if I can meet with Marty, that'll be great. Listen, you know, I, I'm not Dr. J here. You know, I can't... I can't slam dunk you to have a great marriage when you're not willing to do anything on your own. You know, leaders sometimes get attitudes toward people. People get attitudes toward leaders. Marty, you get up there and wave your hands and yell. And people. We struggle with people. I mean, you got to imagine Jacob must have struggled with Esau. Here he is, and the Bible describes Esau as being this athletic, uh, sort of a monster of a guy. He loves to hunt and fish, and, 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 and his dad loves him. And Jacob's this little small guy, you know, little pencil arms. And, 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 and you know, and he hangs around with mom and helps, you know, cook the pie and, and all that kind of thing. And, 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 and Esau just sort of looks at him and says, get out of the way, you little squirrel. You know, well, what's up with you? I'll show you what's up with me. Bonehead. Thickhead. Jock. Can't figure out what's going on around you. I'll take your blessing. And I'll take your birthright. How do you like that? You know, revenge of the nerds. <laughs> I mean, he struggled with Esau. He struggled with Laban. How in the world could you give me the wrong woman? You, um, you know, you can't imagine he struggled with, with, with Laban. How, how he struggled with his own children. You told me you lied to me that Joseph was dead? You ungrateful dogs? Could you do that to me? We struggle with people. He struggled with people. The struggle with people is not unusual. That's why the Bible often says, hey, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is against basically Satan and the influences of evil around us. And we've got to keep that in mind. You know, and I would urge you to do this. We're not going to read it again, but in, in 2 Timothy 4, at the end of Paul's life, he shares uh, at the end of chapter 4, there are several things about it. it says, Demas has deserted me, and, and, and this guy is gone, and this guy is gone, and this guy, Alexander, he is, man, stay away from him. He's caused me a lot of trouble. To struggle with people, I mean, Jesus struggled with people. How many times did he look at the apostles, that you know, his closest guys, and say, Are you so dull? What is wrong with you guys? Yeah. I mean, really? We're in a boat and there's a storm going on, and we're all about ready to die, and I get up and say, Peace, be still, and whack. No storm. Quiet. The sea has become like a mill pond. And they're like, I wonder who this guy is. 
Oh yeah, he, he's a shoemaker from the next village over. I mean, come on, dude. No one talks to a storm and the storm listens to them. I'm telling you, I'm the son of God. Isn't that a, you know? So Jesus struggles with people. Paul struggled with people. You struggle with people. I struggle with people. But he seems to overcome this. He seems to get past it. And I would urge you to get past it. Don't come to church because you think all the Christians here are great Christians. Don't worship God because you think the church is awesome. Because if you think the church is awesome, you got baptized two weeks ago. And enjoy the honeymoon. Because the honeymoon will get over. And you'll figure out everybody you thought was awesome are not nearly as awesome as you thought. And their life is going up and down just like your life is going up and down. So you've got to overcome this, this, this struggle with, uh, with God and with man. And then this last thing I want, to, I want to hear. Look over to Hebrews 11. Now Hebrews 11 is sort of the hall of fame of faith. It, it, it goes through and it talks about all these great heroes of the faith. And in some cases it says uh, actually a good amount about them. In some cases, and in Jacob's case this is the case, there's only one thing said about him. But look what it says in Hebrews 11 and verse 21 about Jacob. And this gives us our last, how did he do it? How did he come back uh, 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 so many times in his life? It says, by faith Jacob, when he was dying. So now, this is he's down in Egypt. He's gone down. He knows that Joseph is alive. Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt. All his family is around him. When he's dying, he knows he's dying. Blessed each of Joseph's son, Manasseh and Ephraim, and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. So this is, this is the thing. Hebrews 11, Hall of Fame. Why is he in the Hall of Fame? Because he made it to the very end. He was so feeble that he had to sort of hold on to his cane or or hold on to his staff. You know, in other words, he can't even hold himself up physically. He is leaning on some sort of pole to be able to do that. Now here's what I get from that. He made it to the very end. And he was still faithful. Now I know this is college football season, all of you are not college football fans. But hang with me here. It is important in any game, but certainly it is in the context of a football game, you've got to play to the very end. You've got to play every single play. And in some cases, remarkable cases, you have things happen that you can't even believe is happening when you see it happen. Last year, Alabama and Auburn are playing each other. These are two teams that hate each other, like USC and UCLA. They hate each other. Auburn people hate Alabama people. The Alabama people hate Auburn people. And and you have this, this tremendous rivalry. And the game is very important for national standing. And we're down to the last play of the game. And Alabama punts the ball 
Uh, no, it, it wasn't a punt. It was a, it was a, a field goal that, that, that went. Anyway, the Auburn guy caught it on his own goal line. The Alabama players, I think the game is over. There's zero on the clock. But the play is still alive because the play hasn't ended. And this dude from Auburn takes the ball and runs up the sideline. Goes all around the Alabama players. And he scores! Alabama gets beat! Why? Because they didn't play the whole game. They quit one game, or one play, before the game was over. And they lost it. This year, Michigan and Michigan State are playing each other. And, and they don't like each other. Michigan thinks Michigan State's the little brother. Michigan State resents Michigan because they're the arrogant older brothers. And they played the whole game. But there's one play left. Michigan's just got to punt the ball. Easy play. Happens oftentimes. No big deal. But the punter fumbles the snap. And he panics. What do I do? What do I do? And he tries to kick it. And it's blocked. And it's blocked and the ball goes up and it ricochets over and a Michigan State dude is coming along. And he gets it in full stride and he runs and he runs and Michigan's like, oh no, 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 no. And they run and they run and they try to tackle him and they get him out like the two-yard line but he powers through and he scores. Michigan lost the game. Michigan State their hated rival beat him again. And the implications of that are pretty solid. Because if Michigan had won that game, now they might still have an opportunity to play for the national championship, but that's now gone. Why? Because they didn't play the whole game. They didn't get to the very end. You see, the last thing said about Jacob is, the last thing he did... <laughs> He's so feeble, old dude. He's not ready to die. He's holding on to his pole. And he blesses Manasseh and Ephraim. And then, then the, the Genesis account says that he went and he sat down on his bed. He pulled his feet up in his bed and died. Wow. Wow. So literally, he's just sort of set up, rolls his feet in and boom, gone. What's the last thing he did? Hung on that pole. He had to have the pole. And he blessed Joseph's two sons. So you say, what's that got to do with the comeback kid? What well, has everything to do with the comeback? He refused to quit. He refused to quit. He had to stand up hanging on a pole, but he was not going to quit. You see, sometimes how you make a comeback is you play the whole game. How you make a comeback is, is you stay in the game until the very end. Instead of quitting, 
when it seemed like everything was going bad in your life. This thing of making a comeback is something you and I have to learn how to do. Because our lives, just like Jacob's lives, go up and down and up and down. And hopefully today we've done a little bit of a a diagnostic look at, okay, how do you make a comeback? Now let me give you these two things. You make a vow. You vow to God. Hey God, I know I'm not doing good right now, but okay, don't worry, I'm not going anywhere. I'll get it together. You make a vow to God. You just make a vow when you get baptized. You make a vow often in your life and you vow to God. You promise to God, you're, you're going to be my Lord. You are my Lord. You're going to be my Lord. Even though right now, I, I'm not on a good roll. Secondly, you, you realize you're going to struggle with God and with people. And that's a normal part of life for everybody's life. And thirdly here, you play to the very end. You get to the very end. You say, I don't know when the end is going to be, but I'm going to be faithful to the very end. Hope these things have been helpful for you guys. Hopefully a good study for us today from the Word of God that you know will be beneficial. Have a great Thanksgiving. Don't pick a fight with any family members. You're only going to be together four hours. Make it go awesome. You're dismissed. Thanks, buddy. Great job.